welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Proper 19 or Lectionary 24, which this year falls on September 11th. We have one content notification for this episode. We talk about Islamophobia and white usually Christian nationalism, when discussing the deep dive. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Our deep dive for this episode, because of the date it falls on, is going to be into the concept of Islamophobia. This is really important for us to do because we are Christians, and Christians have really bad history with Muslims um, and with Islam as a faith. Especially in America, especially in the last couple of decades. Yep. So first, uh, just some important information for you to know. So there are two words that we kind of use that means very similar things. One is Islam and one is Muslim. So if you are talking about the religion, it is called Islam. If you are talking about people who practice Islam, they are called Muslims. Muslim is the one that is used mostly as an adjective and as like the people who practice Islam. Yes, although you will also hear the phrase like Islamic art mm-hmm. or Islamic history. Yeah, but you also sometimes use like that one is trickier though because I also hear Muslim art and Muslim history. So, sure. Yeah. A couple other just like brief definitions. So to give you kind of an understanding, we're not going to get into all of the things that Islam entails because that would be an entire podcast at least. Yes. But one of the things that comes up frequently in conversations about Islam and Muslims is what sort of clothing particularly Muslim women and sometimes non-binary people wear. So there are three important terms and we'll link to an article that explains in more detail the difference between them and a couple more terms but the hijab is one of the most basic ones which is a head covering so that covers your head your hair your shoulders and chest but leaves your face open Mm -hmm. and then a burqa covers your whole body including your face and then a niqab is the face veil that is worn sometimes, and that leaves the eyes uncovered, whereas a burqa will have a screen that still covers the eyes, but is but you can see out of. Sure. Um, these are generally worn by women or non-binary people in order to shield their appearance from the eyes of men for religious reasons. I had a classmate in high school who wore a hijab, and uh, every so often people would, uh, like, the teacher would ask the class, how was your weekend? And every so often she would raise her hand and say, I got a haircut. And we would all <laughs> laugh. And at one point she did explain to one of the teachers who was a little fuzzy on how all this worked, uh, that the girls and the teacher, who was a woman, uh, could come into another room with her and she could show them, show all of us her haircut, mm-hmm. but she couldn't show the guys. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of different reasons why women do it. A lot of people, sure. it is part of their faith, right? Which is something that we can relate to as Christians. There are a lot of Christians who wear crosses as part of their faith, or when we have Ash Wednesday in particular, right? There sure. are signs or people and who wear religious habits. 
Mm-hmm. They are signs and symbols of their faith. Um, there are people who carry prayer beads for that reason. There are um, in Judaism, right? When sure. people wear yarmulkes and those sorts of things. So, Or the Amish and the Mennonites uh, wear mm-hmm. caps on their heads. Mm-hmm. The LDS have special underwear. Like there's yes. a variety of different types of clothing for a variety of different religions. The vilification or ostracization of what Muslim women and some non-binary Muslims wear is misogyny and racism and xenophobia. It's Islamophobia because it is Wait, that sounds that- like intersectionality. What? <laughs> it is. Thank you, Kimberly yeah. Crenshaw. Dr. Cren- Indeed. Kimberly Crenshaw. So just to like name that those are differences in diversity and not every Muslim is going to wear any one of those. And some Muslims will wear some of those. But to vilify it or make it this like scandalous thing where women are so oppressed misses actually what's going on for the majority of people. Yeah. It's a whole other thing when we're talking about different countries and human rights. And the United States is not one to talk about the rights of people with uteruses at all at this stage. And so if you're yeah. trying to say that that's bad, that other countries are taking away rights, then maybe you should help make abortion access free and safe. Absolutely. So given all of that preamble slash important definitions and explanations, we're talking about Islamophobia because Islamophobia, which is technically fear of Muslims, is connected to xenophobia in particular. And it is not something new. It is something that is very connected particularly to Christianity. When you think all the way back to like the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, right? These all took place and were violent Christian actions against Muslim populations. Yeah. And up until around 2001, things were not at a Crusades level, and there still was... Things really seemed to be getting better for a while there. Yes. Yep. There still was Islamophobia. Nobody is saying that that ever was eradicated. But it was not as bad. And then after the terrorist attacks on 9-11-2001, Islamophobia skyrocketed in the United States in particular. Yes. Which, let's just point out, is exactly what the terrorists wanted. Yeah, it caused this whole thing, including, right, then we as a country decided to engage in multiple wars, some of which were connected and some of which were not. And we still have not. Some of us were lied to about that. Yes. <laughs> and we still have not recovered. Yeah. And part of the response to that was also anti-terrorism, quote unquote, anti-terrorism work from the federal government. That's where Customs and Border Patrol, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Customs and Border Patrol, only came about post 9-11. It was in response to 9-11, right? So a lot of the organizations, Homeland Security, all of that stuff that do quote-unquote anti-terrorism work came about after 9-11 and specifically target Muslims and people of color. And if you are a Muslim and a person of color, it's extra difficult. Yeah. So things like the Patriot Act allowed for what would have ordinarily been illegal surveillance, particularly on Muslim communities, mosques, that sort of thing. It also resulted in significant increases in hate crimes against Arabs, 
against Sikhs who are not Muslims and against Muslims. It was anyone wearing a turban was targeted, usually. Anyone wearing a hijab, a burqa, a niqab. Anything that identified them as other and not Christian and not Jewish a lot of the time right. was how people identified it. In Islam, there's a saying, right, that is, if you save one person, you save the world. And there were... Yes. I think that's also a saying in Judaism. Quite possibly. There were a lot of Muslims who were firefighters in New York City, who were in the Twin Towers, yeah. who helped who saved people. Absolutely. And so... There have been quite a lot of Muslims in our armed forces who were some of the people who went to those wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll link to an article from Vox about Muslim Americans' experiences since 9-11 that kind of gets into some of what folks were... The, the ways that their experiences changed. I know people yeah. from India or whose family who's from India, who are, whose family was Hindu. And yet after 9-11, like the instructions from family was do not leave your house. It's not safe because they yeah. had dark skin yeah. and looked vaguely Asian. And so that's, that's part of what we're talking about with this is that Islamophobia is a, a particular type of hatred and violence, not always physical, that impacts much more broadly than just Muslims and impacts Muslims in a particular way. And then intersectionality, right, impacts Black Muslims in a particularly acute way. Yeah. So that's part of it. Also, Muslims continue to be treated as this, like, great terrorist threat when, in fact, the greatest terrorism threat in the United States for several years now, according to several studies, including one, including studies from the Southern Poverty Law Center, is actually domestic terrorism from white supremacists and white, often Christian, nationalists. Yeah. That, that is the largest threat, terrorism threat. By a good margin. Mm-hmm. That's also the most recent, I believe. Thank you, January 6th. Yeah. And while we're at it, I should point out that if you pay any attention to like Islam's religious news on a local or worldwide scale, there is just as much petty infighting and uh, disagreements about what to do next and misunderstandings about what people meant by things and, uh, you know, uh, arguments about which ritual they should do on what day and that kind of thing, as there is among Christians, uh, among Catholics, among Lutherans, among Presbyterians. And so expecting that any particular religious organization would be more organized than another one seems unusually ignorant for people who are probably part of a religious organization. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Islam is a religion, and within it are a variety of different branches, just like within yes. Christianity, as you mentioned, but also just like within Judaism, within Buddhism, like every sure. religion has like multiple branches that people take different routes for. Right. And just like I am not an expert on Catholicism because I have never been Catholic, expecting a person who is Muslim to be an expert on another type of Islam is not going to get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And if I sound frustrated during this conversation, it's because I 
was a freshman in college when 9-11 happened. We have been having this conversation for 21 years now. Frankly, mm-hmm. I was in college for about a week and a half before, oh, and plus an extra week for uh, orientation, freshman. Before 9-11 happened, we were having that conversation then about the importance of fighting Islamophobia. And the fact that we have only gone backwards in this time Mm -hmm. (laughs) in some ways is just really frustrating and the the way that the fear-mongering has not only in some ways increased and gotten more extreme but also like gotten more organized and planned and intentional and using methods that are underhanded yeah like intentionally spreading fear not just Mm -hmm. by like screaming you know, fear mongering, but also by intentionally causing unrelated rumors that then lead to that kind of thing. So an example of that might be, in fact, the birther conspiracy around President Obama, right? That came from accusations that he was Muslim and that that as if that were a bad thing and enough to condemn him for anything, right? But it's very much connected to that. And then in 2016 and 17, um, with the election of our former president and the bans, right? The Muslim ban that he yeah. tried to actually ban people from entire countries from entering the United States. So that, that's that's some of the ways that on a very national and governmental level, Islamophobia has played out. And that's right. Like, President Obama is a Christian. Islamophobia impacts everybody. Yeah. And anytime, I mean, anytime one person is harmed, everyone is harmed, right? Yeah. Um, but it's especially important for us who are Christians because a lot of this has been done in the name of Christianity and in the name particularly of white Christianity. And that's bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, there's a really great article from Vox.com that's like nine different stories of experiences of Muslims since 9-11 and talking about how their how their lives changed and the harm that they experienced because of people's reactions to September 11th. It came out six years ago, right? But it is still very much true today. And there's yeah, there's usually a hashtag that goes around on 9-11 that I can't remember right now because we're recording this far enough in advance that people haven't started tweeting. But we will, on our podcast, we'll retweet the hashtag or we'll tweet out what the hashtag is if it happens again this year so that you can get some firsthand accounts of what people's experiences have been, particularly what Muslim people's have experiences have been since 9-11. Yeah. And I particularly remember being touched by a number of stories from Muslims in America who very quickly after 9-11 lost family members to hate crimes. Mm-hmm. And the fact that their stories are so rarely told on this day when they are just as American of stories as any of the other stories told. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more so, honestly. Yeah. The story of America is of one of harming and killing people who are deemed un-American. Yes. And as much as 9-11 was, of course, a horrible tragedy. Also, I'm not really one to want to make any one day all about only ever being one thing. Mm -hmm. Because 
different people have different things happen on that day. I remember thinking uh, on the day 9-11-2001, there are children being born around the world today, and mm -hmm. this is going to be their birthday forever, and they deserve to get to have a birthday. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. I, so I, I try not to make any one day only ever about one thing. Yeah. I have a friend who had a health crisis on September 11th, 2001, and their kid was freaking out, was in school at the time, and was freaking out because her parent was in the middle of a health crisis and she didn't know if her parent was going to be okay. And later, like years later, they were doing some project on 9-11 and somebody asked, like, asked her about it and for a history class or something and she couldn't say it. she she didn't have a memory of it she didn't have this awareness of it because everything in her life was wrapped up in her parent and of her course. parents health in that moment and she actually got like grief from the teacher about that because Ugh. because 9-11 has become so much of a clarion call for nationalism yeah. for unquestioning nationalism it's just it's super harmful yeah that doesn't even take into account the like christians should not be pledging allegiance to anything but god space of sure absolutely speaking of what christians should and shouldn't be doing <laughs> we can certainly be christian and we can still treat people of other religions with respect not only is it christian to do so but we know that because jesus did continuously remember the woman at the well remember the story of the good samaritan <laughs> the Syrophoenician woman who actually jesus didn't treat yes. particularly well but then did right jesus has never because jesus got schooled by someone of another religion yes and admitted it mm -hmm. jesus never required people to give up their faith or beliefs he did require people to give up riches occasionally so oh yes slightly different thing. yeah and occasionally change their behavior but yes that was always about respecting other people, oddly enough. Huh, weird. And Islam is not the worship of an idol. There are people who will say that Jewish people and Christians worship the same God. And there are also people who will say that Jewish people, Christians, and Muslims worship the same God. And ultimately speaking, whether or not you think that is not super important in day-to-day -day life because you can still treat people who worship a different god than you with respect because that's part of what being a citizen of the world means what? and again jesus did it so that's mm -hmm. okay but islam is not is not idol worship and we can say that for so many reasons among other things including the fact that islam is actually very much against idols to the point where their rules about what can and cannot be in art are mm -hmm. way more strict than christianity's yeah and so they they are way better at not having idols than we do and frankly as an american in a country that worships money and guns i don't get to talk about other people worshiping idols <laughs> That is not a judgment call I get to make. Yeah. Also, so. like, just in general, of the three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, Christianity is the one least likely to be labeled monotheistic. Yes, because we can't do math. Because we can't do math, right? But the the core tenets of Islam are that there is no God but Allah, Allah is the word for God in Arabic. Christians who speak Arabic say Allah and pray to Allah, which means God, just as much as other people who speak Arabic. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
that's one tenant, and Muhammad is God's prophet. Those are like the two core things for Islam versus Christianity, which is like, well, there's like three, but also one, and Jesus, and the spirit, and I don't know. Yeah, it's complicated. Right. I think that explaining the Trinity to someone who's not Christian and didn't grow up around Christianity is kind of like trying to explain baseball to someone who's never seen a game. There there are some things that are, it's easier yeah. to explain if you're like watching it, but yeah. it's hard to watch the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So, yeah. That is true. Muslims, Jewish people, and Christians are all considered people of the book according to Islam, which means that we have relationships with each other, relationships of respect. Relationships with the same scripture. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we've talked about it here. I've talked about it in a variety of places, but for example, when we're talking about Isaac and Ishmael, right, they're both children of Abraham, and they are the, all three religions trace their ancestry. Islam traces through Ishmael, Judaism and Christianity trace through Isaac, but there are stories that are shared. There are stories about Ishmael that are shared between them. There are stories about Isaac that are shared between them. There are stories that in one version are about Isaac and in another version are about Ishmael. Yeah. It depends on what you are reading, which calls to mind that if you want to know more about Islam, a great thing to do is to read an English interpretation of the Quran. When I say interpretation, it is what I have been told to call it. Yes. Because part of the, what that does is recognize that every translation involves interpretive decisions. Speaking of things that Islam is better at than Christianity. <laughs> yep. But there are a lot of times that people will take particular verses of the Quran out of context. Always go back to the context. Always go back to what is actually written down and what is around that particular verse and what is going on. Yes. And remember that this was written in the 600s, right? Like Islam came about in, yes. I believe, the 600s. Yes. So it's been a while. And when you're done with that, go back and reread some of the Bible and imagine how some of those verses could be taken out of context. Because mm -hmm. let me tell you. <laughs> they are all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Badly. Yep. It's similar to how Paul was progressive for his time. Islam and the Quran were progressive for their time. They were pushing yes. things forward in really important and helpful ways. Speaking of existing together in the world, there is one piece of uh, common etiquette that I personally was very grateful to learn uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to being neighbors with uh, Muslims, which is that if you find a Muslim who is doing their daily prayers, there is a very simple way to show them respect and also not, you know, bug them, mm -hmm. uh, which is that generally speaking, if you have a choice between passing in front of them or passing behind them, you pass behind them. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if they've placed an object in front of them, like say a purse or a chair or a bag or something like that, they have done that intentionally so that you can pass not between them and the the item, but in front of the item so that you're you're passing between the barrier that they've placed between themselves and the rest of the world, basically. Yeah. So the barrier is between you and them. Yes, exactly. And they've done that so that you can politely pass them while they pray mm -hmm. and they won't be in the way of traffic. 
So that is a very simple piece of etiquette. The daily prayers uh, happen five times a day and only take a few minutes. And Mm -hmm. therefore, if you need something from that person, just wait. It's not going to be long. Yep. They'll be done in a second. When it comes to praying also, we had this, this dilemma of like, how do you not block how do you not get in front of prayers when I was a hospital chaplain? Because our chapel, the hospital used to be Methodist. So the hospital originally had a lot of Christianity and the chapel reflected that. And so there's a lot of work that they were doing to figure out. But because of the the direction that Mecca was, which is where Muslims face when they pray, it was really hard to figure out a place where someone could pray. And if somebody accidentally came into the chapel at that time, they wouldn't accidentally walk past them and one of the things that we ended up kind of figuring out is that a lot of chapels and churches have like altars or altar rails right so if we could put a rail up or a rail that might already be up for something like a communion table or something then that would work as a barrier so that the person was not mistakenly like praying to a person but it would continue that which is really great. Yeah. Speaking of Muslim prayer, uh, I would also point out that if you need adorable animal pictures in your life, more so than you have already, try Googling Muslim prayer mat cat or (laughs) some variety of that. And it turns out that it is fairly common for Muslim families that have a pet cat, which is fairly common, to get the cat their own prayer mat, because otherwise the cat will try to join you on yours, which gets in the way or they'll try to climb in your lap or they'll try to claim the mat as their own and not let you use it (laughs) (laughs) because that's just who cats are and uh, so there are so many pictures and videos online of cats and prayer mats and they are all just wholesome and adorable and i love them all Uh, so uh by all means, uh, look for those. They are great fun. And if you're looking to learn more about Islam uh, and the things that uh, Islam and Christianity have in common or the many ways that we can exist uh, well together as neighbors, Mm -hmm. uh, there is a Bible study and community conversation resource basically called My Neighbor is Muslim that was put out by Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota. And uh, Mm -hmm. I've used it. Uh, Emily, I believe, has used it. Yes. Uh, It is a great resource. We would absolutely recommend it. It is a fantastic resource. It does this really great side-by-side comparison of different points. It talks about like who is Jesus to Muslims and who is Jesus to Christians and compares it. I cannot like, it was fantastic. We actually did it as a series. So we did, we worked our way through it as a, as a community and then shout out to the Rochester Muslim community circle because they, at least at the time, and I think they still do, did Saturday open houses. And so we did the whole study and then went to the open house and we were invited to ask questions and that sort of a thing. I definitely recommend, right, Kay and I are doing this on Islamophobia because it is necessary before actually learning like more about Islam, right? We want to tackle the like, here's how not to harm people. Right. Right. First step, do no harm. But the study that Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota came out with is also a great resource as a do this study. And then if there are Muslim communities or Muslim community centers or something that are doing like open houses or that welcome visitors, then contact them and see if you can 
go to a meeting or something because it is important to be in relationship with people, but it is important to do the work of understanding the basics before going and expecting someone to explain everything for you and teach you everything. So, right. Like you'd be surprised and probably a little unhappy if a atheist who had never met a Christian before showed up at your Good Friday service and instantly demanded that you explain everything to them. Mm-hmm. So don't do that to other people. <laughs> it's rude. Exactly. Yeah. So while you're learning about Islam and uh, Islamic culture, uh, you may be looking for media to consume. And so mm-hmm. let's start with things you can read. Uh, I know that I very much enjoyed uh, several of the, the first bout of the Ms. Marvel comics uh, starring Kamala. Yes. Kamala Khan is amazing. Yes. And also embiggen is absolutely a word we should all use more often. (laughs) Embiggenify. I love that. Yeah. She has a a great sense of humor and also her world is so beautifully created. Yes. She is a Muslim girl from New Jersey. It's great. It's fantastic. Also, those of you who have been listening to the podcast for any length of time that is at least I believe a week or two um, have have heard me refer to Ember in the Ashes which is a four book series by Saba Tahir it is in a fantasy it is set in a fantasy world it is written by Saba Tahir and she is Muslim and so there are a lot of things from folklore and those sorts of things that that definitely come to play and while Islam is not a religion in the books. It's a beaut- there are some beautiful connections and ways that like I notice things from Muslim cultures that sure. she does. Yeah, much in the same way. The the novel Dune by Frank Herbert is set way in the far future and therefore does not actually mention Islam as a religion specifically, uh, but there is a culture in the book uh, that borrows very heavily from uh, Islam, uh, and he did an outstanding job of his research. And I, I have spoken to quite a few Muslim people about that book, and they all say that, yes, he absolutely did his research. Uh, and so it's it's outdated by now, but uh, it's definitely an interesting way to get a look at the culture on its own. Yeah. Also, the young adult fun romance book, Yes, No, Maybe So is a book by Becky Albertalli and Aisha Saeed. It is a lovely book about a Jewish boy and a Muslim girl and political campaign summer during Ramadan in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. And I thought it was really cute when I read it. And um, Albertalli and Saeed each write, like the chapters alternate between the characters and so they each kind of write their character. But, nice. Um, yeah, it, it's super cute. Also, the graphic novel Persepolis. I'm not sure if I, I'm not 100% sure on how to pronounce that because I've only ever read it. By Marjane Satrapi is a graphic novel memoir. And it there's a second part to it, too, that I've read. But it takes her, it's her experience as someone who was born and initially grew up in Iran during the Islamic Revolution. And so that experience of growing up there and then moving and that sort of thing. Also, a shout out to Stephanie Kaler, librarian extraordinaire, who recommended Hani and Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba Jaigirdar. 
which sounds really delightful and is also queer. Mm-hmm. Also, The Reluctant Fundamentalist by Mohsin Hamid. I've read that. It's like intense and very deeply thought-provoking and a little bit unsettling. Okay. So just know that <laughs> as you get into it. And then Does My Head Look Big in This by Rhonda Abdel Fattah. The only one of those three that she recommended that I've read is The Reluctant Fundamentalist, but the other two sound really quite delightful. Sure. And if you need an additional webcomic in your life, look for Yes, I'm Hot in This by Huda Fami, which chronicles the life of a veil-wearing Muslim woman in modern America mm-hmm. and uh, is usually very lighthearted and funny and every so often just smacks you across the face with emotion in a completely unexpected way. <laughs> But she, it's it's generally very funny, and very often you also pick up useful things not to do. <laughs> nice. As a white person in America. So that's helpful, too. Yes, those are always helpful. Also, yeah. if you have kids or like picture books, if you're a pastor like me who believes that you cannot have a good library or be a good pastor without a great children's book, collection. I Am Malala by Malala Yousafzai from the Ordinary People Change the World series, which is a series of board books, is really great. Definitely read it before you read it to any kids because it does include an image of a gun and does name what happened to her. There's a way to like skip that page if your kid is, you know, two years of age. And so that's not quite a conversation they're ready for. But and then if you'd rather watch something instead of reading something, uh, of course, there is the sixth series of Great British Bake Off, uh, which was wonderful for so many reasons. But of course, one of them was uh, the woman who won, Nadia Hussein, mm-hmm. is Muslim and did a lovely job of sharing uh, some common Islamic uh, baking projects uh, with the crew and cast uh, and us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was also just very fun to watch. She was fantastic. I loved her. There have been Muslim competitors throughout. Yes. This is just the series where she won. And she now has like her own show and has written books and stuff. So definitely check her out. Also, the new Ms. Marvel with Kamala Khan is not just comics anymore. There's a show on Disney Plus, which just recently came out, which is fantastic with a little bit of complicated there, there's definitely complicated stuff with terrorism there so if you're trying to avoid that well, sure you can but i loved i loved it absolutely loved it there's also a cartoon ish series ish um with a bunch of the newer marvel cinematic universe type heroes including america chavez who is also on the newest doctor strange movie but ms marvel is in that as well and sure. shout out to Andrea M. Sahuri, who is a journalist extraordinaire, in my opinion, who I got to know when we were both living in Des Moines a little bit, got to know of her and interact with her um, when we were both in Des Moines. And she recommended Rami, which is a bit of an older show, but they had great Arab consultants on it. And Mo, which is a new show on Netflix and both of them are ones that specifically she was tweeting and told me a, like tweeted a thing about 
the shows and specifically that they're both shows that aren't about terrorism or the CIA or death and destruction. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, there's also a older TV show that you can still sometimes find on YouTube or around the internet and other places called Little Mosque on the Prairie, which is not American. It's Canadian. So you get to hear people uh, speak not only with Canadian accents, but also occasionally you get to hear Arabic spoken with a Canadian accent, which is Fantastic. really interesting, even as someone who, you know, I don't speak Arabic, but I took some Hebrew and <laughs> you can definitely hear the difference. Yeah. And it's a, a lovely show about a Muslim community in a very small town uh, out literally on the prairie of Canada and how they get along with their neighbors. And it's just everyday life. It's not it's it's not super dramatic or anything. And I, I just tend to think of it as a very sweet show. Um, and of course, if you do need to have the heavy conversations with people about Islamophobia and terrorism, uh, still one of the better resources that I've ever seen uh, is that episode from West Wing, <laughs> uh, which came out uh, in one of their later seasons uh, just after 9-11 happened. It was one of the first regular episodes of television to come back on air after 9-11. And they did a lovely job of having the main cast interact with a, a classroom full of students who were in the White House during a lockdown, and they went through all the all the major talking points, and they did a, a lovely job with it. Yes, and that was they. Oh, I still recommend. They specifically made it an anachronistic episode, so it wasn't part of. Yes, the it's not part of the timeline. It's not really attached to any one particular incident, and it you can watch it anytime. And I really value that. Me too. Also, they pulled off some really good jokes, which I just want to acknowledge <laughs> that in that time and, and uh, space of the culture was really hard to do. <laughs> so good for them. Yep. Our first reading for this episode is from Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14. While Moses is receiving the commandments from God on Mount Sinai, God gets upset because the Israelites have made an idol of a golden calf and are worshiping it. Moses changes God's mind, so God decides not to smite them. <laughs> Smiting, bad. Murder, bad. Well, I mean, bad for us, yes, certainly. On the other hand, like, sometimes it's kind of hard to blame God, but we'll get into that. <laughs> so one of the themes in this passage, obviously, is idolatry, which is God's chief complaint against the Israelites. And this, as we've just been talking about, nationalism and hatred of others is, in fact, idolatry. You yes. cannot worship a flag of the United States and think that God is your highest priority. You cannot hate others whom God created and whom God loves and think that you are somehow worshiping God. So yeah. also, you know, the response to that people have to the ring in Lord of the Rings would fit very well with idolatry. So yeah. sure. there's that, too. But please don't be a national, a white nationalist. I mean, absolutely. In general, like, yes. Murder bad, white nationalism bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so in verse 7, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. And this verse has such delightful, frustrated parent <laughs> energy to it. <laughs> like, th this whole thing of God saying, Your people whom mm -hmm. you brought up out of Egypt. God... You. buddy these are your people and you brought them out of egypt and you in fact told and yet this sounds so much like yeah yes and also that all happened about five minutes ago yep. 
it sounds so much like the parents from the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip saying to each other, do you know what your child has done now? (laughs) (laughs) It also sounds like my family when talking about any of their relationships. Oh, yes. My parents absolutely said that to each other when they were still married to each other. But yes, absolutely. Yep. That is a perfectly normal parenting thing I'm given to understand. Yeah. And then in verse 9, we read, The Everlasting said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. This is so real. When my neck is stiff, I cannot turn my head at all. I can't look at a new thing. Like, I go one direction and I just keep going in that direction. So I actually, like, at this, I was like, oh, this idiom, (laughs) it makes sense. I understand it. This is biblical? I didn't realize. Yes, absolutely. And then in verse 11, we read, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And so here, Moses reminds God, actually, that whole bringing out of Egypt thing, that was you. (laughs) And God, not only that, but you literally saved these people, like I said, about five minutes ago. So maybe calm down a little bit. I was told that you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So what's up with this, you know, little temper tantrum that you're having? And uh, then I thought, uh, or are these the early trials that taught you so much patience? And uh, much like how in the movie Mulan, uh, Mulan had Mm. to go through army training in order to reach peak conditioning and be able to put up with all the stuff that happened later in the movie. Specifically, she had to go through an army training montage. Yes. And it's a wonderful montage. And it had to be. And then at the end, Li Shang really wants to flirt with her even more and is so confused. Yep. (laughs) Which is the goal of all gender non-conforming people everywhere. <laughs> well, except for the ace ones, but yes. Well, yeah. But even some of them. Some, not all. I, I mean, anyone can have a crush on Li Shang. I really, you know, there's no blaming anybody for that. That's it's I'm true. Saying. It's true. And then the second half of verse 12, Moses tells God, turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. And I, I love that God actually changes God's mind. Right. That is huge and not something that we pay enough attention to. Also, this isn't the only time. Right. It's not at all the only time. And it reminded me of, I think it was in Captain America Civil War, where the Avengers like split into two groups and they're both like super stubborn. And one is like, we go with the government on everything. And one is like, no, they can't be trusted. And they're both vigilante groups. So it's a whole hot mess of complicated stuff. I don't need to get into this conversation with you right now, but I would not agree with that summary. But I would say that Mm. some of that definitely could have been solved by locking a couple of people in a closet for a few hours and just letting them argue it out. It's true. Or, you know, in a decent sized conference room with lots of snacks so that they didn't have claustrophobia. Fine. But yeah. And so they weren't hangry. It's true. But but what it is, right, is this like ridiculous stubbornness of in particular, I believe, captain america and iron man yes right absolutely and they just like and if they hadn't been so stubborn they wouldn't have made themselves look so foolish by having a giant fight in the middle of a german airport parking lot which is one of the silliest places i can imagine having a giant (laughs) fight (laughs) also true um but eventually somebody had to change their mind right eventually they got enough information or something and they changed their minds this just reminds me of that of like okay you can be stubborn, but, like, eventually give it a rest, please? 
Maybe. And if you find yourself in an airport parking lot having a major argument with someone, maybe like have a snack, get a nap, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. try again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then our second reading for this episode is First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. The author reminds the readers of their own previous disobedience to Christ in order to remind them that Christ's grace is for all those who actually need grace. So... I, this one was the hardest for me to come up with stuff for, and I was talking to my sibling about it, and I was like, this is like, so First Timothy is one of the um, books that we are fairly confident was not actually written by Paul, but by like, right. basically, A fan Paul's okay. fanboys, um, and they never do it as well, right? Toxic fan base is a thing like we name it that for a reason yes which is also known as i am not a fan of first timothy (laughs) but kind of like the star wars like white boy nerds who didn't like any of the newest trilogy right like it's just did you ever actually see that movie which one there was a there was a movie that i believe was actually called fanboys that was about a group of young men who were huge Star Wars fans. They were waiting for Phantom Menace to come out. And one of them was like dying of cancer or something. And so they trekked across the country in order to sneak into Skywalker Ranch so that the guy who was dying of cancer could watch Phantom Menace because he wouldn't be alive when it actually came out. And it's, it's actually very fun. And they are not toxic fanboys at all, which helps. But I just... It, it is a fun movie, and since you brought up fanboys, I thought I should mention it. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen that, but I have seen, I've seen a movie about getting into Skywalker Ranch. Maybe it was that one, maybe it was a different one. I don't know. Okay. Carrie Fisher has a brief cameo as a nurse. Oh, that's adorable. It's very cute. Yes. Nice. And then as we get into the verses, in verse 13 we read, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. This reminded me of an episode of Vampirina in which the monsters from Transylvania are like trying to find out more about humans and actually are scared of humans and don't like humans because humans have unknowingly been making fun of and are afraid of monsters. But they think that monsters aren't real, right? They don't realize that monsters are real and have feelings. And so they, like, have Halloween and those sorts of things. And so then the monsters are like, see, humans are terrible. But it's actually just because of ignorance and not knowing. So they clear it up eventually because it's Vampirina. Yeah. Also, I was going to say, like, I know people who celebrate Halloween in a way that would be, like, if monsters were real, it would be entirely respectful and, like, loving of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of depends on who There's a variety, and it was, like, a particularly, yeah, it was a particular propaganda, Uh, almost. Sure. And then in verse 15a, we read, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So... This verse and ones like it in the Bible are kind of behind the whole Lutheran logic of admitting that we are sinners. Uh, Lutherans as a group tend to put a bit more emphasis on the idea that every single one of us sins, like humans, not just Lutherans. It's not only that Lutherans sin. <laughs> Though we do. We're we put a bit more emphasis on this. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, we're we're very experienced, but but we put a little more weight on this on a daily basis than some denominations. Mm-hmm. 
And some of this is because if we didn't sin, we wouldn't need Jesus. And it's repeatedly made clear to us in scripture and like also in like everyday life that we all actually do very much need Jesus and therefore we all sin. There, There is no such thing as a perfect person other than Jesus. And so uh, this reminds me of Dr. Bashir in Deep Space Nine, uh, the Star Trek series. Uh, Dr. Bashir went to DS9 in order to be a doctor where people really needed doctors rather than just like doing research in a place where doctors weren't quite as necessary because everyone was pretty healthy and safe. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came here to save sinners because we really needed saving. Mm-hmm. Although hopefully Jesus managed to get here without quite the level of condescension that Dr. Bashir initially has, but he gets over that event. So, uh, and then in verse 16, we read, but for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. Okay. So when this verse says as the foremost, the author is claiming to be the foremost sinner. Mm Mm-hmm. This guy is claiming to not only be the worst person who's ever lived, (laughs) but he's actually claiming to be the worst person who will ever live, if you look at the context a bit, because of the way he phrases it. Like, the worst person who has ever and will ever live for all time. Like, worse than Hitler, worse than Pol Pot. And when you read it, it kind of sounds like this guy actually has an ego problem, which weirdly enough does seem to be a thread in common with a lot of Paul's fanboys. Hmm. Yep. But like it he's he's putting himself forward as the ultimate sinner. And he's setting himself up to ultimately have been worse than like Fire Lord Ozai, which yes, I realize he's not a real person. But uh, if you're gonna be the worst person in the history of the universe, then you also have to be worse than fictional characters, probably. And I don't think he like had access to the kind of population that he would need for that. <laughs> this this yeah. random guy. I don't Yeah. Like, I I think maybe he might have been a little, well, optimistic is definitely not the word I want to use. Um, A little exaggerating. Yeah. A little bit of hyperbole there. Mm -hmm. And in verse 17, we read, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And it would be totally remiss of me if I didn't have at least one reference to Ember in the Ashes this episode. And so I was thinking about that and the like space of being immortal and invisible or potentially invisible. One of the characters, Raymat, is a djinn. And so I was thinking about her for that because she exists within Mm -hmm. humans along this one lineage. But then I was also thinking, but that's like just a djinn. And so there's like limits on that power. And then I was thinking about Mouth, which is M-A-U-T-H, which is like basically death. It is like the entirety of fey power and mouth is very much like immortal and not particularly visible in the books. It's very complicated and very delightful. And this is your periodic reminder that we should all read the Ember in the Ashes series (laughs) if you haven't yet, because I love them. Uh, And then our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. Jesus tells the parables of the lost sheep and lost coin, showing that God's joy over finding someone who was lost is even greater than God's joy over those who were never lost. Indeed. So one theme for this passage is that God loves those who are excluded. And the Divergent books actually do a great great job of showing this because the Divergent ones 
are the ones who are kind of excluded and even hunted down, but actually they were particularly special and they had a particular type of value. So I like that example. Sure. Absolutely. And then in the verses, in verse four, we read Jesus asking, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until you find it? And I, for this, I just have to say, shout out to our Good Shepherd episode and Polly Festa, an actual shepherd who would, in fact, go after the lost sheep and kind yes. of turns this on the head where a lot of what I had heard up until then was like, meh, do you need to, like, you're not going to risk 99 sheep for one. Yes, yes, you're going to risk the sheep because they will stay together better than this one who is lost. Right, yeah. And then in verse five, we read, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. I mean, yes, sure. But also, like, there might be some scolding involved and maybe even a little swearing while you get it out of whatever bramble bush it's gotten itself stuck in, right? Like, I think that's fair. When you free the sheep from wherever they've gotten stuck. And this verse reminded me of, uh, there is a classic Harry Potter fan fiction uh, called Lust Over Pendle, where Draco has adopted a couple of Springer Spaniels <laughs> who are very active and love investigating things, and, which I'm told is, like, very common for Springer Spaniels. Um, and he's basically constantly getting himself stuck in bush while chasing after them when they wander off looking for something <laughs> and uh, he spends like half of the the story stuck in various bushes or looking through uh various uh yards and things uh for the dogs and so i have to imagine that there's a certain amount of frustration that goes along with that rejoicing too yeah well and i was i was thinking about it and there's this video that is hilarious of like this baby lamb gets stuck in this like crevice and they like get the lamb out yes and it goes hop hop back in the crevice and it's like <laughs> yes, right like that is the reasoning why you put it on your shoulders because otherwise you can carry it far far away yeah. yeah and then in verse eight we read or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one of them does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it this seems like actually a great plan to get myself to clean the house <laughs> although i it would probably have to be more than a silver dollar but you know some larger amount of money i would sweep the house for and that's like the silver coins are more than what silver coins are worth today. also panic cleaning is kind of exhausting but it's true but if it's the only way it's gonna get cleaned then it's the only way it's gonna get cleaned that's fair also i have only once played D D and needed to actually keep track of money so there is that i'm not exactly accustomed to keeping track Hmm. I, we always keep track of gold pieces, but that's partly because the uh, computer program does part of that for us. Mm -hmm. um, and partly also because we do actually buy things. So. I did for one, but the the other one that I did for I think a, a fair amount longer was we were just like well known enough that people would just give us stuff. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you took advantage of the local populace is what you're telling yeah. me. <laughs> okay. Our celebrity <laughs> status, if you will. Yes, indeed. And then in verse nine, we read, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. 
And I do not want any of our audience to get any holier than thou about this with me, because who among us has not found our phone after a long time of searching and then immediately started texting people news of our success on that exact same phone, often without remembering to turn the ringer of the phone back on first so that we don't have the same problem next time. (laughs) This seems to be a consistent thread, I'm just saying. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And now for our perhaps most delightful segment. Let's make a Muppets musical. So I was thinking about this segment and Muppets musicals, and this doesn't quite work for one of the scripture readings, but there in 2016, Sesame Street introduced Zari, a six-year-old Afghan Muppet. And now it's Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And so I was really excited about that. And we'll include, like, a link to that. But then also there was a New York Times article. There's there's a couple articles. But in 2020, in an episode called R is for Rohingya, Sesame Street created new Muppets for refugees. So Noor and Aziz are Rohingya Muppets. Refugee Muppet, Muppets. Sure. The, and they're specific for, specifically for, like, to be shown in refugee camps and stuff. And they're six-year-old twins. Apparently all new Muppets are six years old. I don't know. Maybe that's just how old they all just are. I mean, Calvin is a child six years old. It's it's at a good age. It's true. It's true. But yeah, we'll link to both of those articles if folks want to learn a little bit more about them. Because I think it's awesome. I was looking at our readings and uh, I had the thought that standing in for the lost sheep does not necessarily have to be lamb shop the puppet, (laughs) but instead I think it would be much more appropriate for the uh, lost sheep to instead be a lost chicken, of course, and Gonzo could be looking for her. And the lost chicken wouldn't have to be Camilla. I suppose Camilla could be running the the rest of the flock of chickens while Gonzo was off looking for the lost one. Uh, Camilla strikes me as a little too smart to to wander off on her own. But I I think that could be fun and would definitely still have the the feeling of uh, finding the lost. Yeah, that is a great example. I like that one. Mm -hmm. I would buy that. I was trying to think of who would like search high and low for a lost coin I think it might like I do think that Miss Piggy might, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean she she does occasionally lose things and then get frustrated with that, mm-hmm. I I think. I was also wondering about who would play Moses in the whole trying to calm God down. I don't know that there mm-hmm. really is a good Muppet to play God in the whole getting angry at the Israelites thing because like they get angry but not like that kind of smiting angry. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um do not have a tendency to smite. Yeah. Which is certainly a good thing. Yeah. But Kermit could definitely pull off the whole calming God down thing mm. and, and be Moses. I'm not usually one to say that Kermit should be Jesus, but I think Kermit could be Moses in this moment. So Okay, I can see that. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest, Dr. Felipe Maya. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewan. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It is cheaper than 
Is it cheaper than buying all of the Ms. Marvel comics for yourself? It's true. It is cheaper than buying all of the Ms. Marvel comics for me. Please. Please do one of those two options. <laughs> also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for. Let's make a Muppets musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, Pox, Pox Vobiscum. Vobiscum. <laughs>